Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, it's definitely been one of the most challenging weeks or even arguably 24 hours uh, in Israel for many years, some would argue decades. Today we saw demonstrations, not to say that they are without precedent in recent years or even recent months, but the fact that they took part they took place in the heart of Tel Aviv, shutting down major arteries in Tel Aviv and other parts, and, and still are, by the way. Um, and there was such, uh, there wasn't high, high levels of violence, but there were at least 11 people injured, 50 arrested. Again, scenes in the heart of Tel Aviv um, by opponents to the judicial reform and generally towards this government. Um, it was supposed to be a day of shutting down the country, not to say the country was shut down, but certainly parts of Tel Aviv were. I myself was supposed to be in Tel Aviv uh, this morning, but decided uh, not to travel because of uh, what, you know, what were broadcast to be disruptions. Um, and in Jerusalem, the demonstrations now moved to Jerusalem um, and they're ongoing. Um, interesting enough, in the last half an hour, which is quite remarkable. The prime minister's wife, Sarah Netanyahu, went to get her hair done, her hair cut or whatever, in a hairdresser in the heart of Tel Aviv. She's quite amazing on a day like this that she would do so. And some of the demonstrators got wind of it and apparently quite a few hundred, if not even a thousand, demonstrated outside the hairdresser uh, themselves. And she had to be uh, whisked away by police. Um, but uh, obviously, you know, some of the scenes that we've seen, again, they're not unprecedented, but certainly they, um, we haven't seen at the level, uh, you know, and, and in the places and the amount of um, media attention, because this is taking place in the heart of Tel Aviv, this is not ultra-Orthodox, it's not Arabs, it's not right-wing settlers, this is what many uh, media personalities have been pains to say, this is the heart of Israel. These are the people who, you know, work in the high-tech industry, the salt of the earth has been repeated again and again. So uh, again, while not unprecedented, some of the scenes and some of the anger and some of the reactions have been largely unprecedented. And obviously at the heart of it is the police who are now under um, the control of uh, National Security Minister Itmar Bengvir, who has been a great pains to say while he supports the right to demonstration, he does not support the right of people to block roads. And many of the demonstrators tried to shut down the main arteries. As I said, the Ayalon Road, which is the main highway that goes through Tel Aviv and connects the country uh, from Tel Aviv to the north and to the south and to Jerusalem, was shut down. Parts of the road to Jerusalem, outside Jerusalem, was shut down. So the police definitely took quite a heavy-handed um, presence to this. There were uh, stun grenades being thrown, there were water cannons being used, uh, police on horseback uh, were certainly used, and as I said, very difficult scenes, and that's what led uh, the media today. Uh, obviously, you know, we need to talk about the terrorism that has taken place over the last few days. There were 
There was uh, uh, two brothers who were murdered at point blank range uh, by a Palestinian gunman in the heart of the village of Hakarara, which is in the northern West Bank. This is a town which uh, remarkably Israelis have to travel through every day. I myself traveled on it a, a year or so ago, and I was quite or very uncomfortable to drive through because it's not just a small uh, village. It's a major town with uh, traffic lights, uh, with congestion, and any Israeli, you know, I said at the time to my family members, it's pretty much a sitting duck. And what happened was is this car carrying these two brothers uh, was involved in traffic congestion. Someone with a gun came up and point and shot them both point blank, 12 bullets, and uh, and they were dead. What then we saw at night was uh, outrage from some of the neighboring uh, settlers who were just fed up with being sitting ducks, as they would say, and went on the rampage in the village, uh, setting fire to cars, setting fire to houses. Um, one Palestinian was reported killed. It's not clear exactly how, how he died. Some say it was uh, a, a, a mistrayed bullet by the army. Some say he may have died from other causes. It, it's not clear, but what is clear that there was a high level of violence supported uh, by some members of Knesset. There was at least one member of Knesset there. Another member of Knesset is now being investigated by the police for saying that this village of Horara should be raised to the ground and defending the actions of those who went on the rampage. Uh, tensions are extremely high around there. And we saw yesterday another um, uh, terrorist murder of a young Israeli-American um, who was laid to rest today. And as he was being laid to rest, the Israeli army went into Jericho, where the perpetrator came from. In fact, the, the murder itself took place very close to there. Um, again, markedly different to Harara, which is a place you know, full of tension where, where the, the American-Israeli was killed. Um, was in a part near the Dead Sea going uh, going past uh, Jericho, but not too close, where Israelis travel very freely, very safely, as do all people. Um, so really different ends of the spectrum. And as he was being laid, laid to rest, the IDF went into Jericho and arrested uh, the perpetrators um, of that particular terrorist attack. What was most interesting tonight is while all these scenes were happening today of demonstrations and violence, um, is Prime Minister Netanyahu decided to go on the major news uh, times uh, 8.10, the major news in Israel is at eight o'clock, so anyone who wants to be shown live on the major news shows would do it around eight or 8.10, and this is a tactic that Netanyahu has used many, many times in the past. And he basically came on to condemn the violence, to say, you know, to, uh, to again say we need to take a step backwards. But most interestingly, he compared the violence to what happened 20 years ago. He said that there was also another group of people who were deeply dissatisfied with what was going on in the government. But the opposition did not take to the streets, did not close down um, traffic major traffic arteries, did not threaten violence, et cetera, et cetera. What he was referring to is the disengagement uh, from Gaza, which uh, eventually took place in 2005. Interestingly, he claimed to be the leader of the opposition at the time, when actually, as some have pointed out, that he actually voted for the disengagement uh, three or four times and only uh, turned around and voted against it at the last minute. Uh, and he was part of the ruling party that he could at the time, which basically uh, uh, carried out the disengagement. So. 
some have pointed out maybe there was a little bit uh, that was a little bit disingenuous but the point was he was trying to say that when the right uh demonstration doesn't uh, uh, stoop to such levels as the left. This is the language he was trying to use, uh, and even compared um, uh, the uh, demonstrations to the rampage in Harara. And as one can imagine, that didn't go down well at all. But it was a clever tactic uh, politically from the prime minister to try and rally his base, because to a certain extent, he's losing a certain amount of uh, his base. He's losing a certain amount of uh, popularity, as we saw this week in the first polls since the elections, which shows that if elections were to happen today, the current government would not have a majority. At the moment, it has a 64 majority. Um, but now, uh, according to that poll, it would go down to 59. Uh, the opposition, uh, minus the major Arab party, would have 56. So we'd have a stalemate. But the fact that uh, uh, the Netanyahu bloc would, would lose five seats is significant. And I think we've started to see that there are those on the on the sort of um, on the seams of uh, the Likud party, maybe some others who are a little bit worried about what they're hearing uh, to do with the judicial reform and other actions that are being taken and probably today uh, regret their vote. Uh, again, I wouldn't put too much into polls because, A, as I've said many times in the past, they're a snapshot of reaction. They're not necessarily how someone will vote, especially not months and years uh, in the future. And also Israeli polls are usually there to make a headline. So they're designed partly uh, in such. So where do we stand on the, the big issue of the day, which is judicial reform? Well, today in the Knesset, which is really where everything uh, that, uh, that matters really takes place, uh, Simcha Rotman, the person who's been leading this from a legislative point of view, is really gung-ho, moving ahead, uh, there were various other elements of the judicial reform plan which were passed through his committee today. There was raucous, uh, uh, you know, disagreement. The the opposition uh, uh, members of uh, the law constitutional uh, committee in the Knesset uh, boycotted uh, the vote, but did come in to shout and to raise points, and and uh, basically they were removed after causing too much. Uh, uh, of, a, of a problem. Um, but the fact is that on the legislative front in the Knesset, things are moving ahead very, very quickly. Uh, there is no let up despite calls from the opposition to slow things down or even to stop them. Uh, also from the president, President Herzog has uh, said that, you know, we need to stop the process now for, and we need to give time for talks, negotiations between the parties. Um, and we saw today uh, one of the opposition leaders, not the opposition leaders, a leader, the opposition leader, the head of the opposition is um, yeah, Lapid of the Yeshatid party, but the second largest party is uh, run by uh, Benny Gantz, the National Unity Party, and he has been most vocal in calling for talks, whereas Lapid has said, I'm not going to even come to the table until the process is uh, finished. Benny Gantz has taken a more moderate position and has said, let's talk. He, 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 he publicly said that he called up Netanyahu today. He called up the Speaker of the Knesset, Amir Ohana, and said, let's stop the process. Let's take a time out and let's uh, discuss. Perhaps, uh, I talked about the poll earlier, this is, uh, he's the main beneficiary at the moment. His numbers are improving probably more than anybody else's. He's gone up quite a few seats. Perhaps that moderate position is seen as most popular amongst those in the middle. 
Um, but Gantz is trying as much as possible to be that third way. He's being criticized by Yael Lapid and more vehemently by Mir Michaeli, but uh, it's certainly a position which he stands by. He, he came on the media and, uh, and spoke about it today. Obviously, after hearing Netanyahu's speech, and he was in uh, one of the uh, studios, the new studios, while the Netanyahu speech took place tonight, and you could see he was quite angry at the fact that Netanyahu didn't use enough language, that called for talks, that called for the tempest to be lowered, and just used it more to try and uh, score political points, as I, I mentioned earlier. That's how he was seeing it. But I say all this, interestingly enough, the first real initiative from within the Knesset cross parliamentary initiative to try and call for some sort of negotiation, some sort of compromise was released today. Now, the identities of those who are calling it are very interesting. First of all, from the opposition side, you have Khili Tropper and you have Gadi Eisenkot. Now, both of those are very senior members of Benny Gantz's party. So it's clear that Benny Gantz was very involved. And when he was asked about it, he admitted, yes, I'm very much in the loop and very much uh, you know, leading this. The interesting element is, the more interesting element, I would say, is from the other side. Um, two members of the Likud are also signed on to the same document, but the identity of them will tell you also a little bit about where this stands on their side. And the, uh, and the individuals are Danny Danon and Yuli Edelstein. Now, both of them have uh, in the past seen themselves, and I would be surprised in the future as well, have seen themselves as not only successes to Netanyahu, as even standing in opposition to Netanyahu. And as a result, uh, especially Danon was left out of government, was left out of any senior positions. He's just a regular member of Knesset, even though he's pretty popular within the Likud party. The other one is Yuli Edelstein, who famously, uh, only a, a year or so ago, challenged openly the first person to do so publicly and openly, and Netanyahu to a leadership race in the Likud. He eventually uh, stood down from that. Um, and he wasn't given a position in the cabinet, in the government, but in the end was given the head of the influential and important Foreign and Defense Affairs Committee uh, in the Knesset. So these are two people very much from outside of Netanyahu's circle, as opposed to the ones on the other side, which are very much in Benny Gantz's circle. So I'm not sure if this document will really have much of an effect because those who are leading this, as I said, Simcha Rotman and Yeriv Levine, the Minister of Justice, are just simply moving ahead. They're, they're not taking great interest in this, but the fact that there are attempts within the Likud to say, okay, we have to come to the table, we have to talk, perhaps that will win them some points in the future, perhaps not, perhaps this will be something that Netanyahu keep in mind again for the future. Um, but I think it's, it's an interesting document, the fact that there is this call for compromise, but again, the fact that from within the coalition, these are not people from within uh, Netanyahu or Levine or Rotman or Smotrich's inner circle, I think shows that it's probably not going to get very far on the coalition side. On that note, uh, during the week, it was revealed that Natan Eshel, uh, who is a very close confidant of Netanyahu, if we remember, he had a position in the government a number of years ago, and because of impropriety, he was forced to resign that position, but has never lost his influence within Netanyahu's inner circle, especially within uh, the, the Netanyahu's, uh, Sarah and Bibi himself, themselves. He uh, sent a message to some media figures uh, telling them to ask Benny Gantz um, and Yael Lapid and others that if they're prepared to talk about um, 
the judicial reform? Are they also prepared to talk about entering the government? Now, that's fascinating. Even though Netanyahu and the Likud party said that, that Netanyahu doesn't speak for them, Netanyahu very much doesn't do much without Netanyahu's green light. And the fact that he is looking to put out a, 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 you know, a sort of trial balloon to see if uh, Yael appeared and more, I would say, obviously and prominently, Benny Gantz to see if they're interested in uh, sitting in the government is something that I've talked about for quite a while, that Netanyahu would much prefer, especially after a week like this, which he had problems with Smotrich, with Ben Gvir on many, many issues. Uh, he would much prefer Gantz at the very least, and probably even Yale appeared at this point in his government. So the fact that Netanyahu is trying to sort of uh, see whether there's any interest, gauge the interest to see if the media will bring it up, I think really does uh, speak quite a lot. There's plenty of uh, other things to talk about. We had the first reading of the uh, death penalty for terrorists uh, passed through the Knesset this week. Uh, in fact, today, uh, the budget, the first layer of the budget was sort of passed. That was controversial in itself. Usually there's an all-night meeting on a Thursday before the budget's presented to the Knesset where all the different uh, details are worked out ahead of time. There was no agreement, uh, as there usually is on such a thing, and Netanyahu had to have a bit of a show, a bit of a photo op, showing everyone voting, but not really for a budget, for the principles of a budget, which again, are pretty unprecedented, but shows really that he has a very difficult time ahead uh, of this coalition. And I, I said at the beginning of this coalition that while there are differences and there are going to be challenges, um, you know, it, it's going to last a certain amount of time. It's proving far more of a challenge uh, than Netanyahu, I believe, even thought. We had our first uh, ministerial resignation, Abi Maoz, not overly significant. He's a one-member uh, one party, no one party. He hasn't resigned from the coalition, so they still have that 64 majority, but he has resigned from his position as minister within the prime minister's office because he said Netanyahu uh, didn't keep to his side of the bargain of what was agreed to in the coalition guidelines. But I think it's a bit of a, a test case uh, for what some of others, uh, on, you know, towards his ideological orientation. I'm speaking about Smotrich and Ben Kvir, those who are already extremely disappointed with Netanyahu's um, uh, feelings. They were very unhappy at the fact that uh, while this terrorist attack uh, earlier in the week uh, took place, Netanyahu's people were in Jordan trying to negotiate a calming of um, you know, the atmosphere ahead of Ramadan with the Palestinians, with the Jordanians, with the US. And according to Smotrich and Mengvir, they were completely out of the loop, even though they're both very senior ministers. And the fact that they had to hear about it from the media and uh, what, uh, what came out, the communique, that there will be no new, um, uh, the release of new tenders for uh, houses in the settlements. Um, as one can imagine, angered uh, Smotrich and Benkvir and their party members and even their followers uh, in a week of such great tensions. And don't forget, they have to also think about their base, which is deeply unhappy. They're deeply unhappy on the security level. They're deeply unhappy on the diplomatic and the political level. So they're not going to let out, let up at all. And this is going to give Netanyahu uh, and this government many headaches ahead. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions.
All right. Thank you so much. So the first question is from Merdad Kansari asking, do you think that the domestic challenges might encourage the government to take action against Iran in light of recent revelations about its nuclear program in order to distract the public opinion away from the current domestic difficulties? Um, it's a good question. Uh, there are those who would think that. But again, you know, listening to Netanyahu over the years, regardless of where all the other issues that they that they may have with Netanyahu. He's been pretty consistent that Iran for him is the number one uh, issue. Uh, we know now Iran, according to a senior US um, official, Iran could be as little as 12 days away from having uh, the requisite material for nuclear weapon, uh, weapons capability. Again, I've stressed this in the past and I'll stress this again, that does not mean that they will be able to uh, launch a, a bomb, a nuclear bomb, because obviously that involves other issues, weaponization, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that they could have weapons-grade material uh, within days, not weeks, not months, not years, days, is certainly giving is, uh, Israeli leaders, and I would say Prime Minister Netanyahu above all others, a great headache. I do not believe that he will launch an attack on Iran just to, um, you know, uh, lower attention away or try and you know for domestic reasons i think he'll he'll do it in fact i think if anything the distraction here is more of a problem for him because as one can imagine he wants to be laser focused on iran not least diplomatically he wants to be able to go around the world and say you know iran is on the you know it's it's one minute to midnight as far as the iranian nuclear weapons capability goes, this is when we need action. This is when we need the threat of military force, at least on the table. And if Israel needs to act, we, you know, he'll be arguing to leaders around the world, we need your full support. But what he's hearing from leaders around the world is more to do with the riots in Harab, uh, more on the judicial reform, more on building in the settlements. That's what he's hearing, whereas he wants to keep the focus on Iran. So I think it actually hurts uh, any potential plans to do with Iran at this point. Thank you. And on the flip side, Isaac Cohen asks, uh, could the situation be exploited by Iran, the domestic unrest? Um, I'm sure if they could, they would. I mean, we saw Hamas who were trying to exploit it. They were trying to launch some of them incendiary balloons today, but apparently after promising to do so in support of uh, what's happening in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, uh, they actually apologized for not doing it today. They said that a the winds were not favorable. And one can imagine that uh, incendiary balloons need favorable winds. So uh, they were willing to, um, to get involved in some respect. But, um, you know, if Iran could make the situation worse on the ground, they would, they would do so. <clears throat> I don't think their weapons, the nuclear weapons program is necessarily tied to any events in Israel. <clears throat> they're moving ahead uh, pretty much at full speed as it is. Um, so I'm not sure that there'll be anything on that level, but if they could cause problems, we heard Nasrallah uh, last week uh, talk about how he sees this as the beginning of the demise of Israel um, and that Israel is you know, going to just implode. You know, These are the sort of things that I think Iran would love to see, um, but I don't think on the... <clears throat> nuclear weapons uh, program, anything's really changing. Thank you. Uh, Carrie Hillebrand asks, is there an estimate as to what the economic cost of the uh, unrest or uh, demonstrations is so far? 
I mean, it's difficult to say. They, yeah. I, I haven't heard any specific numbers, but what has been uh, pointed out quite a lot is the fact that you know the high-level, high-tech uh, sector in Israel has been involved. The fact that these are happening in the heart of the business district of Tel Aviv, you know, the, the, you know, it's happening near the Israeli center near Sarona, near all these sort of uh, areas, um, shows that you know the heart of Israel business um is being affected with people not at work with people demonstrating with people not able to go to work not people uh, have meetings there was even uh there's been at least twice over the last couple of weeks attempts to shut down uh the roads to the airport i mean we're, we're not talking about for very long we're talking about minutes not too much longer but certainly uh on the uh the opponents of judicial reform they want to try and exact an economic price. They want to show that the international this will affect Israel internationally uh, and diplomatically, but it's it's really hard to gauge exactly what, if any, cost uh, it's costing Israel. Interestingly enough, one of the international economic uh, ratings uh, agencies, Fitch and Moody's, came out um, with their new ratings on Israel, and there was a lot of expectation that the judicial reform and the effects and the backlash could affect its rating. Well, at the moment it hasn't, but there are, excuse me, many caveats in that report which say if it continues and if we do see these disruptions, then Israel could have its international financial ratings lowered. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were those who hoped that at this point they were lowered to sort of say, we told you so. Uh, those uh, uh, proponents of judicial reform have been saying it's not the judicial reforms that the uh, international economic community will find problematic, it's the reactions. If you didn't react, there wouldn't be this international outrage and uncertainty. So there's a sort of a war of words, exactly what is creating this economic uncertainty. We've seen the shekel certainly weaken uh, over the last few weeks. So again, depending if you're an opponent or proponent, who you blame uh, for uh, the weakening of the shekel and some other economic uh, indicators. Thank you. Doris Rose Strauss states, President Herzog said he would not allow getting to a point of no return. What is he able to do? Not much officially. Uh, the president is, 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 re is relatively a ceremonial role. Um, what he can do is be a voice for the different parties, trying to bring them together. And he certainly has been central to that. He's been speaking with a lot of the major figures uh, for, you know, in, in the legislative process, whether Simcha Rotman, whether it's Yev Levin, or even Netanyahu himself, and opponents, whether it's Yair Lapid, Benny Gantz, uh, and others. And he's tried to bring them together. He did at one point support a stopping of the, of the legislative process on the judicial reform, but it's clear that the those who are, are pushing forward are not prepared to stop at this point. He has come out and said that, you know, what he's witnessing is, is deeply concerning for him. And he really does think that we need to push back a little bit. There needs to be talks. Both sides have said that they're prepared to go to the president's house even this evening and talk about this. Netanyahu, was, you know, people around Netanyahu have said, we're ready. Our door is open. Let's talk. Um, the same thing, Benny Gantz and others, uh, but no one's making that move at the moment. There are some back channels, but at the moment, nothing's really happening. There are, as I said, the more extreme elements led by Lapid, Michaeli, 
who say we're not prepared to even enter the room until the process is halted for a certain amount of time. There are others, as I said, like Benny Gans, who said, let's talk. Um, but at the moment, there were no high-level talks. The fact is, we, we, we have started seeing some effects. Uh, some of the legislation has been watered down slightly. Uh, for example, Simcha Rotman's proposal that you would need a bench of uh, 15 out of 15 uh, Supreme Court justices to override a law has now been watered down to 12 out of 15. Now, uh, opponents of judicial reform say that's still far from satisfactory, but the fact that it's moved down from a maximalist position to a slightly less uh, position shows that there is some movement, but at the moment, it's certainly not enough for uh, opponents of judicial reform. Thank you. And Barack Kirkma's uh, follows up. Do you think Gans's time has come as a coalition partner? Um, not at the moment. With the anger and the outrage uh, by opponents of judicial reform, I think his 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 best position is to be a that more moderate uh, person. That you know what they like to call in Israel the adult in the room, where he's he's certainly an opponent of judicial reform. Uh, but he's saying, let's talk. Let's not just ignore the situation and take a maximalist approach. Let's uh, talk. Let's try and come to some compromise. Uh, there obviously needs to be some level of reform, uh, but certainly not to the level uh, where there is. But at the moment, to, to talk about entering the coalition would be political suicide for him, because I would say something very close to 100% of his supporters or even potential supporters are extremely against judicial reform. So it's not something that he would even entertain publicly at the moment. But again, I don't think it's a million miles away, especially when this whole situation has finished uh, one way or another. That is when a lot of people are saying could be Gantz's moment and maybe the moment where Netanyahu decides to eject some of what he would see as more problematic members of the coalition. Absolutely. Thank you. And Alan Friedman asked in our last minute here, what do you see happening going forward? Well, at the moment, the proponents in the Knesset and the government of judicial reform, Levin, led by Levin and Rodman, are moving ahead, you know, 100 miles an hour. Uh, they're not letting up at all. Even in the middle of everything, they are pushing forward. They're not letting up for a second. Uh, all the elements are, are moving forward. Again, as I said, there are slight you know, compromises at the end, but they always are, you know, the first uh, reading of any law is always going to, uh, you know, change with subsequent readings. Um, I, I, I do believe that there will be some talks, there'll be some compromises. But again, I think it all depends who's running the show. If Netanyahu is running the show, then there'll be a lot more compromises. If, if, it, if he hasn't really got control of the situation and it is being led by Levine and Rodman, then there'll be very, very few. So it is to a certain extent a power struggle. Netanyahu does want much of the reform, but he doesn't want the problems with the more maximalist versions of it. So I think at some point they will have to come down. Um, but there are people like Rotman and uh, Levin who believe if we come down a bit, then this will all be for nothing and we'll never get another opportunity. That's the way they're feeling. Um, and uh, so I, I think that there will be some talks, um, but whether there'll be enough for the opponents of the law, that remains to be seen. Right, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you for taking time thank to update you. us. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Asra Nomani discussing Islamism's woke army. 
Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.